You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. Ladies and idiots. This is the Fade to Gray Podcast. I kind of just thought marriage was something you endured. Because the church we grew up in, we always thought the end of the world was coming. (laughs) I didn't believe in having more than one partner. I thought it was kind of damaged goods. Maybe I could have an orgasm. If you're married and you're not having sex, it creates a whole other dynamic in your house. What do you think about the Fade to Gray podcast? It sucks. Nice. We out. We out. Welcome back to another episode of Fade to Gray. We are continuing our relationship series, and today we're talking with Rachel. Now, Rachel has a very interesting story as someone who grew up in a cult uh, and then went on to marry her high school sweetheart, but it didn't turn out to be all roses. She's going to get really personal and in-depth about her story. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, well, we're happy to have you. Thank you so much for being willing to share your story. So I want to get into your upbringing. Tell me about your experience in a cult. What what cult were you a part of? It was called the Worldwide Church of God. It was uh, a church with thousands and thousands of followers. Um, there was one main leader uh, and... I mean, it was your basic, like, fundamentalist Christian kind of church. Um, At the time, I didn't think it was cultish at all. It was end-of-the-world kind of church that basically preached fire, brimstone, no Jesus. I hardly ever remember any Jesus being preached. A lot of Old Testament. um, It's not one of those churches where they tried to get you to commit suicide, is it? No, no, no. No. Okay. (laughs) We didn't go that far for the Kool-Aid. But it... (laughs) I mean, it was definitely one that was very strict. Uh, so how was it a cult, though? Like, by very definition, like, cults try to keep you there. They don't like you to leave. They right. uh, often have weird, you know, um, gender roles. Like, tell me about that. Um, it was very male-dominated. Um, the women were meant to listen to the husbands, very subservient kind of um, styles of parenting. Uh, my dad was the head of the house. My mom had to follow no matter what what my father said Um, and kids were the same Uh, we were kind of uh, I don't know forced I guess to to follow the rules (laughs) to marry within the church we weren't allowed to marry outside of the church we weren't Mm -hmm. even allowed to date outside of the church Um, we weren't allowed to date different races Uh, basically um, even the even if there were black people in our church where there were very few um, we weren't allowed to date. Um, so no interracial, no interracial relationships. Dating. No. Okay. Um, and so that dynamic with your mom and dad. Okay. So you're saying that your dad was kind of the head of the household um, and that your mom had to kind of do whatever it was that uh, he said. So what was that dynamic like? Did they have a loving relationship? No, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it that. Um, my mom didn't drive a car until she was 27. Uh, she stayed wow. at home with four kids. Uh, I mean, some of my only memories of their relationship were probably, I mean, mostly my mom raised me. Like I, I don't remember a lot of interactions with my dad as a kid. Um, I mean, he was there for like some play times and things like that. Um, I remember church services, like we had two hour church services, uh, where we had to sit and be quiet or get or get our ass beat. 
basically. Um, And then on special occasions, like festival, like the Feast of Tabernacles and different kind of things that we went to, we would have four-hour church services uh, that we had to sit through. Um, And I mean, those are the most memories I have around my dad is surrounded by church. Other than that, it was my mom, you know, coming in at night, hearing her crying in the bathroom or breaking dishes because she was angry that he was out all night and she was at home, you know, with four kids. So so he's out all night. This isn't a polygamous church, so he's not married to other women? No, no, it's no. not. And they were very, they upheld marriage. Marriage was very important. But my dad also had a pornography addiction and hmm. he liked strip clubs. And so as a, and my mom is, beautiful woman absolutely beautiful woman and I just never understood it as a kid I mean I knew kind of early on she would be upset with him and I would always be the one to to find her upset um and I found you know pornography around the house like you know kids find these things and uh I don't know it just she forgave him because he would ask for forgiveness and in the bible you're supposed to forgive again and again uh so she just forgave him and kept taking him back. How old were you when you first found pornography of your dad's? Uh, I was probably eight years old. I found a VHS tape buried under some clothes, um, and I decided to play it. And it was kind of I, I don't I don't learn a lot about pornography because I don't watch it myself, but it it looks like. Um, like S&M kind of stuff, like, you know, female being dominated by a man um, kind of pornography. Uh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, and I mean, I don't know. My mom used to have me go through his car to try to find a strip club, like paraphernalia in there so that I could, I don't know, I, I helped her, I guess, find these things. I don't know why she asked me to do those kind of things as a kid, but I knew pretty early on um and it really, it gets damaged my relationship with my dad when we were younger. But, I mean, he's a different person now. Um, but the church, I mean, all that stuff was done behind the scenes. And as long as you were outwardly a, a Christian, you were fine. As long as yeah. you were taking care of your family and doing what they asked you to do, you were fine. Did your mom ever confront your father about his porn addiction or him going to the strip club all the time? Oh, yeah. She confronted him and he would cry and say that he was sorry and she would forgive him. So, yeah, it sounds like that happened more than once as if this was something that was a continually a battle between your mom and your dad. Is that right? Yeah, it went on for years. I mean, all through my high school, anytime my dad had extra money. So we were pretty poor, and that, I guess, was the really screwed up part. I mean, we lived in a trailer that didn't have heat sometimes. Um, We had a kerosene heater, (laughs) and I don't know. We we were poor, and for him to spend money on on women uh, was, frankly, kind of disgusting. But I mean, but I understand people have addictions, so... How do you think that seeing your parents' marriage, um, how do you think that it affected you as a child? I kind of just thought marriage was something you endured. 
uh, for good or for bad and better or worse, whatever, that they make the vows that you say when you walk down the aisle. So I kind of felt like no matter what, you just stay together. Um, not for the kids necessarily, but because that's – you're supposed to have one partner the rest of your life and anything less than that I felt like was not not okay. Um, and I don't know if that was purity culture or what. I'm sure some of that – I didn't really know what purity culture even meant um, back then. But, I mean, I still kind of hold to that even today despite the things I've done. <laughs> so I'm guessing that that was something taught to you and your, your church was, of course, that you were supposed to dress modestly so as not to distract men. Is this something that you were taught? Well, we had to wear dresses to church. Yeah, we couldn't wear anything, you know, provocative. Uh, my, we weren't allowed to wear makeup like the adult women. Um, yeah, it was... Anything – my mom wasn't even really supposed to tell her children that they were beautiful because they didn't want to encourage vanity. Mm. Um, any sort of praise you could give yourself um, was thought to be like some kind of form of vanity. So <laughs> the result was a lot of like kids with low self-esteem. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm hearing two different things though. At church, there was – really strong rules and boundaries that you had to follow. But then at home, you were almost experiencing the opposite in regards to what your dad was doing. So like your dad was the man of the household. He was keeping everything together. He was adhering publicly um, as someone who was a leader in the church, I'm assuming, and was someone to look up to yet at home. He's going to strip clubs and looking at pornography. Did that impact your relationship with God at all? I would say no. Um, God has been like a constant. I never felt like what people do is a reflection of how God feels about me or even the people that do the things they shouldn't be doing. Um, the only time I felt separate from God or not loved would be when I've done some sort of sin or conducted myself in a way that I knew wouldn't be pleasing to God. Um, then I've kind of felt more far away, but I know it was by my own doing, um, not because I feel like God couldn't love me or would reject me, um. I, I've never, even through, like, the different church experiences I've had, ever felt like God's presence wasn't there with me. Um, I, had a, I had a teddy bear <laughs> that, I, that I still have that I, uh, anytime, like, things would get hard or I would be angry and upset with my dad or just life in general, I, it was kind of like my personification of God and I would just hold that and feel better. Um, it was, a, it was a comfort to me more than anything, probably. So would you say that you just really weren't that close with your dad growing up? Just wasn't that close, correct? Yeah, definitely. We, we were, I mean, I, I kind of 
didn't really like him as a person yeah when we were younger yeah yeah so you met your husband in high school right or was it junior well, technically, high technically <laughs> technically it was junior high we met in eighth grade um we didn't start dating till till ninth grade all right but. do you remember how you met him um in eighth grade i met him in choir uh he was the the loud kid <laughs> in choir um and yeah, I don't know. We were just friends. Uh, he was really popular. I was kind of this nerdy, weird kid. Hmm. So <laughs> it wasn't really like we didn't run in the same circles. But um, I don't know. We just started talking as friends. And I ended up dating one of his good friends. And uh, he just he wrote this like little inscription on the back of a picture that said, you know, when you're done with Jeff give me a call. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> he was a little bit cocky. I'd say um, so. And that's kind of how John and I started dating. So. Yeah. Okay. And so what how old were you when that happened and were you still involved uh with the same church during this time? I was 15 and no, we okay, so we left the church when I was 10. The leader of the church died. And in most kind of churches like that, where they're very leader-driven, um, other people took over. The church fractured. Um, there were still some groups meeting, like adhering to like the old ways of doing things, like they did all the Old Testament holidays. Like we had no Christmas, no Easter, no birthdays. Um, That's terrible. If the holiday wasn't in the Bible, we didn't celebrate it. They were con- those were considered. man-made holidays not god's holy days and so it wasn't until i was about yeah i we left the church when i was 10 so when i was about 10 that's when we started kind of getting back to normal um my dad would still go to the church but my mom she grew up methodist and after we left i mean no one else in my family uh really follows any sort of like faith at this point now did your husband john uh was he a part of that church or was he a part of any cults or anything no he grew up methodist and so when we started dating i started visiting church with him i church topped quite a bit uh from like age 10 to 15 i actually loved church um i like singing hymns i i feel really connected to god through singing and so church was always really special to me. I, I actually enjoyed sermons. And so I wanted to go to church, but my family didn't really support that. Um, so I would go with friends and pretty much anyone who'd take me along. So I church topped a lot. Um, but I eventually ended up in a Methodist church. And I liked at the time, like their philosophy on like open doors, open hearts, open minds, because I've been in that place for so long that didn't accept other people um, that I wanted to be in a place that would be accepting of, of all people. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So did you ever, you know, while you were dating John, did you ever date anyone else or was John your first serious boyfriend? He's definitely my first serious boyfriend. I mean, I dated here and there like little, little dates or kisses here or there, but for the most part, um, he was, he was like my first real boyfriend. So, 
Well, with your religious upbringing, I'm guessing that you both waited until you were married <laughs> to have sex, no. right? <laughs> no. Um, and actually, I was the one that made the first move, so it's kind of my fault. <laughs> but um, no. <laughs> yeah, um, I was pretty curious. So, I mean, I guess I, I wasn't a very sexual person when I was younger. I mean, God, I was still playing like Barbie dolls and playing outside, but time I was 12 so you know I had my first kiss by the time I was 15 and that was it was fine but I wasn't like really looking to to do anything improper and uh, I don't know we were watching a movie one night and I just Satan came over you figured we'd try some things out <laughs> yeah <laughs> Satan came over me <laughs> so that sounds like every man's dream. Oh, man. I'm <laughs> telling the you. the girl initiate it, especially at that age. Well, and let me just tell everyone, everyone who's listening, you can't see what Rachel looks like, but she's absolutely drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> so just FYI. Oh, come on. I would like to second that. Mm, I would disagree, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was nice. Uh, I, I hate it. I mean, I, I wish I enjoyed sex. That I wish it was like an enjoyable experience, but it just, um, I don't know. I, after there was so much buildup around it, um, I just kind of thought it would be more, <laughs> it would be, it would be better. Um, so you're talking about better the first time or better in general? In general. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of became this thing where it was, expected in the relationship um and it was always having to be secretive which was hard for me um it was always you know let's be really quiet or um and we didn't really have a place to go and my parents were super strict he couldn't even be in my bedroom without the door open and another person being present wow um my parents drilled into me hard when i was younger like Whatever you do, you don't get pregnant <laughs> and you don't, you know, basically do what we did because my mom got pregnant in high school and they both dropped out uh, and, and they ended up getting their GEDs and gone to have full careers now. But like, that's why, she, I mean, she got married to my her high school sweetheart and, you know. So your mom's advice was not to engage in premarital sex, but how did she feel about it whenever you guys decided to get married? What was her advice on that? And at what age did you guys get married? Uh, we got married when I was 22. So we did it for seven years, which is sounds like a long time. But when you're in high school and beginning of college, it's really not that long because um, we were still really young. Uh, my mom tried to talk me out of getting married as I was walking, like literally walking down the aisle. <laughs> She um, she wasn't a fan. She she wanted me to wait uh, for a while. Not that she wasn't supportive of John. She really loved him as a person. She thought he was great, but um, she I don't know. She wasn't a fan of of marriage too soon. Since age twenty two is pretty young, where were you at in life at that point? Um, were you in college? Had you completed college? Were you starting college? Obviously, you'd completed high school. Uh, wh where were you living? What was the situation? What was going on? 
I never went away to college. I decided to stay at home and go to college because I had a really good home life as far as like my parents were pretty cool and I didn't – I had my own room. I figured that would be better than dorm room life and I've never been like a partier or – I'm a little bit of an introvert. So I was fine with just hanging out in the library and studying. Um, I went through college and then I was graduating – as I was 22. So I got married this semester before I graduated college. And um, he was also in school, but he just went to like a community college. Um, so, I mean, we were actually really well put together. I mean, we bought our first house when we were 22. I don't know. We had, I felt like all the boxes were checked. You know, um, We both had really good, pretty good paying jobs at that time. Uh, I went to school to be a teacher, but I didn't actually go into that. I worked in a restaurant and yeah, I mean, we just, we both worked a lot of hours and I don't know, we didn't see each other a ton. We kind of lived together, but had separate lives, Mm. if that makes sense. Gotcha. Okay. So you're now married to John and you're 22. You both have pretty good jobs. Life must be great. So how was the marriage? I don't know. Something happened when I got married. I got really super independent. Um, I was pretty codependent before. Like, couldn't go to a place without him. Always had to be by my side. And when we got married, um, I don't know. I felt this surge of independence. Like, I was free. It was a weird feeling. And um, we were just different. We had different things that we liked. Um, I always had a lot of guy friends that are talking about, like, music and books and things with because he wasn't – we didn't have those things in common. Um, so what we did have in common was, yeah, he liked to to be with me, like, <laughs> physically. And, I mean, he enjoyed my company. Uh, but, like, emotionally, we weren't – we were rarely on the same level hmm. at that age. How soon after you got married did you start to feel this independence? Uh, pretty much from the the day after. Um I don't I don't know what that was about, but uh I don't know. I I I just felt like I had arrived, you know, like when I was younger, I just thought, you know, I'd get married, get a house, have some kids and I'm done. Um and when I was younger, like I can remember thinking when I was like 7 because the church we grew up in, we always thought the end of the world was coming. <laughs> so I remember being so afraid that I would never have a boyfriend or get married or any of these things. And I, I had done it. Like, that was it. Like, I had reached my goal. Yeah. Um, wow. And there wasn't anything else I wanted more than that. Um, I felt like that's it. So, and I was going to be happy with what I had. It's almost as if your experience in the church forced your hand and made you want to make sure that you got all those things before Christ came back. So you may have rushed into things. I don't know. I I felt after we slept together, I kind of felt like that was a done deal. Um, I don't. I didn't believe in having more than one partner. Um, I thought that would make me a slut, <laughs> so, to be honest. And I didn't – I didn't. I thought I was kind of damaged goods at that point. Um, and that was honest to God. My thought is who's going to want someone who's already been with somebody. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. We kept doing life and we did life for a little while. And, uh, then one day we were sitting on the couch and we're like, we're kind of bored. Let's have a kid. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, that's kind of how it came up. And I don't know, life was kind of boring. And we just thought, you know, let's have a kid, see how that goes. Why not complicate things and add, you know, someone you have to take care of <laughs> right? for 18 years? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think that's kind of when it all started spiraling down for me a little bit. Because um, I, I was working all the time. And then after I had my first child, I was still doing like the brunt of the housework and like all of the things that I did before that I really didn't have a problem with because I had free time. Um, but then it was like my time was gone and he was still having his personal time. Um, we were involved with like this nonprofit and we'd have like Bible studies and like I would always have to go to the back room and put the baby to sleep or – you know, I was all my duty was always to the children, and so he would get to have social time, and I would always be isolated. So my social time began to be only the time I got away from the home, which was at work. Was it during this time that you were working uh, and and finding most of your social life at work? Whenever you met Francis, yeah, I was managing a store, and I needed a new employee, <laughs> and. And walked this guy who was definitely not anyone I would ever hire. I mean, he came in in baggy sweatpants, socks with sandals, just <laughs> just a mess, right? And <laughs> it should be outlawed. <laughs> but um, I was desperate for an employee, so I hired him. And, oh, God, for six months, we, like, hated each other. Like, I, I thought he was, like, such an asshole. Um, I should have probably gone with that gut feeling. <laughs> but... I don't know. Something happened after about six months. He started being really nice and he was like – he basically turned into my star employee like – and then he turned into a friend. And we, I don't know, talked about things. I was going through a rough time and he was my ear at that time and would come in early to help me, would stay late to help me. Um, and my love language is um, service, like acts of service. So you began to feel loved. I was by feeling him. loved. <laughs> yeah. 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 And because you were stuck being the one at home who was having to do all the hard work, take care of the kids, probably do all the cleaning, you didn't feel like you were being loved at home properly, right? Right. Yeah. And so how did your relationship with Francis turn into from a friendship into something more? Well, it was kind of it kind of happened out of the blue. Like, I mean, we were friends and he would say things here or there that were kind of sweet and flirty, but it was, you know, never anything beyond that. Um, I've never really been the kind of person to go looking for something like that. Um, I wasn't looking um, to get out of my marriage or to have another relationship. Um, I was just looking for like companionship, I guess. Sure. Um, and, well, one day the power went out at work and it was just him and I, and uh, we had to do some like food runs to the other stores and then there was nothing else to do. And we were just hanging out at the shop and he said, well, do you want to go back to 
my house. And I probably shouldn't have gone um, in retrospect. But I went. And, yeah, one thing led to another. Um, a little back history on Francis. He had a... He had a habit of telling lots of sexual stories, like part of the reason why I thought he was an asshole in the beginning. He had been with like supposedly 25 women. Hmm. You know, he he had a sexual history that was, you know, sounded pretty, pretty crazy. And there was a little part of me that was like, hmm, <laughs> how much do I dislike sex? Maybe if it was with someone who was experienced and maybe I could have this like unattached sexual experience and mm. maybe I could have an orgasm. <laughs> so right. I don't know. I know that's terrible, but that's partly where my mind went. Um, and so we tried and it was God awful, <laughs> like oh. way worse. Um, it was over in about three seconds because come to find out he was actually a virgin. Uh, wow. Yeah. So didn't know that. Um, I mean, found out that pretty quickly, um, about three seconds later. <laughs> and I don't know. After that, he was like, well, you're probably not going to talk to me because, you know, this was terrible. And I didn't want that to be what it was. Um, I wanted to still be his friend and for us to have, like, a relationship. And so we tried to still be friends. Um, but that didn't work. I mean, there was still, like, a lot of attraction there. And so we just He wasn't still sleeping. wearing uh flip flops and, and oh god socks, right? He was. He still does to this day. <laughs> oh my god. So so you started sleeping together yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah, like wherever it was possible. Uh he did not have his own place and I was married. So Wait a minute, he didn't have his own place? Nope. So he was living with his parents. <laughs> oh my god. Jesus. I'm a loser. <laughs> well, well, no, wait a minute. Okay, so let's let's give people some perspective here. How old are you at this point and how okay. long have you been married? Well, I was 20 27, 28. Okay. No, so yeah, I was 28 and he was 4 years younger. So, he was considerably younger than me mm. and he was going to through school. So, I mean, there was reasons for him to be at home, like just like I was at home going through school. But yeah, we had been married at that point for about five years. But I mean, we've been together that seven years prior. So, I mean, it was, we've been together quite a long time. Right. And this is after you had your first child together. Yeah. yeah. How long after you had your first child did the affair take place? About, about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. All right. And that's kind of when the, it started the, the flirtations, the all of that right so what happened next um well i got pregnant and and not by your husband well i was unsure to be honest because occasionally i would have to sleep with my husband right because we're married and i felt like that was my duty even if i didn't want to participate in that it was easier to just do it um because if you if you're married and you're not having sex, it creates a whole another dynamic in your house. Um, a lot of like pent up <laughs> irritation and tension and stress, and it just it's almost worth you know 
the half hour to an hour <laughs> just not to deal with it. And so on occasion, we would sleep together and I was unsure. I wasn't willing to have an abortion. Um, I just, I'm not able to, I, I know I mentally wouldn't be able to handle that. Um, and I, I always wanted more kids. So it was something that was not planned, certainly. Um, and so I called him <laughs> to let him know that I was pregnant. And his response was, well, it's your husband's, right? And I said, yeah, I'm sure it is. And that's kind of where we left it. Hmm. Granted, we work together four or five days a week. So we left it like that. He, you know, continued being him and would go out to bars and meet women and go about the town. And I was pregnant. He would come back occasionally and try to, you know, let's make this work kind of thing. And that carried on for a little while, but mostly he stuck around to make life miserable for me. <laughs> um, he told me he was going to walk away, like no matter what, whether it was his child or not. And uh, he did not do that. And so when did your husband find out about all of this? Uh, I didn't. So I didn't get the DNA testing until my second child was born. I decided, well, I did not decide to get the DNA testing. Um, he basically, over a series of threats, and he ba he basically said, I need you to do this, um, or I'm going to go to your husband and tell him that we slept together. Um, and, I mean, he would do these things at like 3 o'clock in the morning while I was breastfeeding my child, you know, um, call me all kinds of names, just really, really awful things. And... Uh, I felt like I knew what would happen if he told John and John would leave me. Uh, and at that time I had two children now and I had just quit my job and I didn't want to hurt John. John was a good dad. Uh, he's good dad to my daughter and I knew he'd be a good dad for my son. Um, and he was just a much better person than Francis. Um, he treated me with a lot of respect even though I did not treat him with the same. Yeah, so one evening, it was particularly bad, and he basically said, we, we go to the, get the DNA test, and that's it. Um, so we went. He told me he wasn't going to look at the results that I could tell him, and that if it was, it was my choice, whether I want him to walk away. And so I got the results, and they matched Francis's DNA. And I told him I'd like him to walk away. And he sued me for custody. And so was that something that he told you he was going to do or did you just get served papers one day? No, I just got served papers. I got a letter from the lawyer and yeah, he was requesting frequent and it was very vague language. Basically, he just wanted to be in his life on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, but at this point in time, we were moving out to another area of the state and we were starting a, a nonprofit. So it was just a really complicated time to try to, to fight custody and to try to explain to my 
husband what was going on. Were you and Francis still working together at this time? So, like, all of this is happening and you are running a business together at the same time? After I had the child, I quit. Um, But he was, like, he was the person I trained to take my place. So, um, yeah. And when we, I mean, I eventually had to tell my husband what was going on. Um, I wanted John to have a relationship with my son. And I know people might judge me for not telling him sooner. But I didn't want to risk the possibility of them not having a relationship. And John loves my son just like it's his son. And I don't know that that would have been there had I said, look, I don't know if he's yours. Um, I wanted to be sure. And when I was sure, within, within about three months, I told him that I'd had an affair and that it was not his son. And he forgave me instantly. He just, uh, he told me not to take my ring off. And because I was taking my ring off as I'm telling him this. And he said, I love you. And I love our son. And I don't want you to go anywhere. So he said, I forgive you. I forgive all of that. And we'll make it work. Wow. Yeah. He's a pretty good dude. Um, And so we moved. We moved and we started this nonprofit and things I thought were going to get better. (laughs) You know, we had a series of battles over custody. We had to go to mediation. We worked out an agreement. John is still on the birth certificate. Uh, Basically, Francis just has custody rights. And he pays me a little money here and there whenever he feels like it. But it required us to have interactions still. So pickups and drop-offs, I would have to see him. And there were never really good interactions. They were either sexually charged, in which he would make like sexual comments to me. Or if I wouldn't respond in a way that he liked... They were violent, like angry confrontations. Did it ever turn to physical violence? Did he ever hit you? He never hit me. Uh, He's put me up against the wall before (laughs) with like his hand on my throat, Um, but he's never hit me. Uh, Throwing you up against a wall is physical violence. It equates the same thing. I think for him and his perspective, he thought that was like a sexual like a sexual thing like like it would be somehow enticing <laughs> to be dominated like that um but it, it wasn't uh it just made me afraid of him sure so yeah so a lot of my actions following that come out of like fear uh and they still do today so because he has my son <laughs> and what I do affects my child. If we don't interact in a way that is pleasing to him, he takes it out on my son. So, yeah, I'm not willing to be the bad guy and 
set the boundaries because I don't know how to do that in a way that keeps everybody safe. You've been through quite a lot of stuff in this ordeal. And the fact that this is still something that you're going through is pretty rough to hear um, that you have to deal with this even today. Do you think that there'll ever be a time when you won't have to worry about Francis being in your life? Um, counting down the days. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a time, like, there was a time I was actually considering leaving my husband. I did leave my husband for a little bit, for a month, uh, because I thought if I can't be present with Francis, like to see how he treats my son and to see the kind of like choices he makes, maybe I should be married to him and not to John because I trust John to raise our, our kids, but I didn't trust Francis with my son. And so for a little while there, I thought, well, maybe I just need to leave and be with him. Like we have, we have a physical connection. And even though we don't, even though the relationship was really kind of abusive, (laughs) I felt like it would be better than if I could control the abuse, like if I could be there to protect him, to protect my son. Um, It was a really stupid idea. (laughs) And uh, I stayed at my mom's for about a month. And then I decided um, I just wanted to go home. And so I went home. Uh, I, we tried to go to counseling for about a year. At this point, the nonprofit had fallen apart. Um, And I don't know, we we're still in this place where I try to set boundaries and I try to have some sort of control over the situation, but I don't know how to do it in a way that ma- that makes everybody happy. So my husband would prefer that I have zero contact with Francis, but that's my son's other dad and we have to have contact. But it's really damaging when we do. So pickups and drop-offs and he still will try to smack my ass in public or grab me by the boob or say things like, I'm not done with your ass yet. Um, Whatever chance he can get to say something sexual or hurtful, he takes it. It seems to me, though, Rachel, that if he's doing these things – there has to be some sort of legal ramifications that you can use against him in order to get him out of the picture. If someone is doing those things to you, which by the way, if you're doing that to a woman, you're a disgusting pig. Um, If those things are happening, can you not try to maybe go before a judge and say, Hey, this is what's happening here. This is harassing. And you know, my son, his, his actual, Uh, On the birth certificate, it's John, you know, and this person just happens to be the sperm donor. Is there any way that we can take him out of the picture here? I mean, is that something you've considered? Sure. Yeah, I have considered that. I did try to take out a um, restraining order at one point um, when he tried to vandalize my car and I wasn't able to get one. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just had a terrible lawyer. I mean, I spent thousands of dollars uh, and a lawyer, and he still got 
custody despite his drug use history and mm. his history of <laughs> verbal abuse and other things that he would do and say, um, he still got custody. I could go down those avenues. Um, I think it'll cost money. And I just kind of am waiting for I, my son to turn a ter- certain age. Um, I mean, he isn't happy about going to see him either. So he's seven now. You're saying your son doesn't like going to stay with Francis. No. He cries every time we go. And mm. he asks me why he has two dads. So it's a hard conversation to have and to be positive about because I believe that you should never tear down another parent no matter how terrible they are. <laughs> so yeah. my response is always, well, so many people love you that we have to share. Have you ever had that conversation with your children? I have, yeah. My daughter did not take it very well. Uh, I try to be honest with my kids and admit my mistakes because I feel like being able to admit mistakes um, is an important part of being an adult. (laughs) And I think it's something we should model for kids. Um, And I... uh, I have to explain why my son has two dads. Um, And I think they'll understand more the older they get. But right now she, she gets angry about it. You know, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't want to talk about it. And she's told me that she's upset with me for doing that to her dad. So, and I think that's fair. It's totally fair. So your husband, you you said you left him for about a month and then you went back. Um, how did he react to that? Um, he he struggled pretty good about it. Um, we sat down and did financials. We met up a couple times and kind of just worked on how we would separate, like how we would not be married anymore. And... I don't know, towards the end of it, he was just like, are you miserable? And I'm miserable. Like, this is, this is stupid. Let's just, let's just try to go get counseling and be back together. And that's what we did. We, we did counseling for about a year. Um, it was terrible counseling and we did it together. So it was hard because I couldn't really be honest about how I felt um, because he was in the room. So I didn't want to hurt him, you know, our, he knows that I'm not the most sexual person (laughs) and, um, I'm sure his like pride took a hit that I would be sexual with someone else when I wasn't that way with him. So, sure. Well, let me ask you about that dynamic. You said that you were physically attracted to Francis. Um, I'm guessing that this means that you're not quite physically attracted to John anymore. Um, Do you actually enjoy sex with Francis and not with your husband? I do enjoy the sexual part with Francis, which is part of the problem. Um, I am still very attracted to him and I enjoy it. I don't enjoy it afterwards. Afterwards, I feel a lot of shame and, um, just empty but I don't have to be 
intoxicated to sleep with him. So when I'm at home, I mean, I have to have a couple drinks first before I can even get to that place of feeling comfortable to sleep with my husband. So when did the second affair happen? That was, that was when I um, separated the second time. That's, well, that's when I went to live. Yeah. I went to live with my ma and, um, I don't know. Uh, we just continued to see each other like pickups and drop offs and like that connection is always there somehow, no matter how, like my dad did drop offs and pickups for a while. Like we found ways to work around it, but he would always find ways to get to me, like show up at my work, do things that would make life harder if I didn't make time. Rachel, is this something that is still going on today? Yeah, it is. Up until a few months ago when I got a new job, um, it was something that was going on, not regularly, but it's something that would happen from time to time. And it was just easier to go along with than to create a situation that would have been harder. So, and I'm a bit of a coward, (laughs) obviously. So I just kind of, um, I don't want to like police your language, but you are not a coward. You're being abused is what's happening here. Yeah. You're, you're allowing another man who's being abusive, selfish, and only cares about himself to put you down and for you to take that on you don't need to take that on you are not a coward here he is the coward and i just and i understand that you know me saying that is not going to change your opinion on that issue but i just want that i want that said because you're the victim here in the way that this is being maybe not in the beginning maybe not in how things started but the way things are being done now and the way things are being perpetuated, he is an abuser and he does not define who you are. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I want to be very clear when I say that I don't want to be a, a victim of anything. I know. I feel like this is what I have chosen and I have. I have a choice. I still have a choice to not participate in it. And I know that and I'm choosing to do that. So to me, that's, that's not a victim. It's a participant. And I mean, people tell me all the time, like you can just make a different decision. You can just get a divorce or you can get a restraining order or you can do these other things. But all those things have repercussions, and they're not ones I'm willing to do right now. So right now, I just, what I'm hoping (laughs) happens is that um, 
I deal with it in the most non-confrontational way possible. And I have a job where I am always busy and I work all day and then I go home and I take care of my kids. And then that's my life now. And to me, that's, that's enough, you know. Does John know about what's going on today? He does not. Um, he would not be okay with that. He and I have an agreement of a no boundary, like no contact um, with with Francis um, on a personal level. And no, he would not be okay with that. He uh, he would likely want a divorce. So if you have to drink to be with your husband and you're not attracted to him really anymore. Why do you stay married to John? I mean, I stay for a lot of reasons and some of them might not be good enough reasons (laughs) for other people. But, um, I mean, I love John as a person. He is one of the most amazing people I know. Um, He's changed a lot since, you know, we were 22. We have a lot of the same interests now, like books and movies, and we like to do the same things. And, you know, we're good together as a family, and that's when it feels the most right. I mean, I keep hoping that the sexual stuff will change <laughs> over time, but I don't know that it will. Um, I feel like that's such a small part of what I think marriage should be. I think I was taught to want this like perfect thing with like passion and I don't know. I don't know that I believe that that's possible. Um, not all in one person. I believe that there's lots of people that you can be compatible with, but who's the best person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, that you want to grow old with, that's who's going to take care of you and care for you in the best way and bring out the best in you and you bring out the best in them. And that's how John and I are together, uh, despite the fact we don't have well, I don't have the physical connection. He is still very attracted to me physically. So I feel like that's one thing I can just be okay with, you know, especially after all I put him through. <laughs> I feel like that's only fair. John kind of comes off as being a hero uh, in this story, but I don't know that I buy that. There's got to be more to the story about John for you to have ever even stepped out in the first place, I think. So is there anything about John that people should know? I mean, in the beginning, I would say that he, when I did step out the first time, it was a very different situation than when I stepped out the second time. The first time it was because we weren't connected. Uh, We were living two separate lives and... He didn't really care that much. He had, he wasn't great about empathizing with others. And I would tell him, I'm lonely. Like I'm, I would sit there and cry and say, I am lonely. I need, 
I need you. And he would just watch me cry. <laughs> he wouldn't even give me a, like a hug. And I felt alone. And I was dying for some connection. And um, the second time was more like a more logical choice. Like, yes, he had changed and he was better, but my life wasn't better. (laughs) It was calculated and controlled and I can't make phone calls. I can't have a separate email. I can't be honest about feelings because I don't have the right to feel that way is how I felt. Like I don't have the right to say things that I want or do the things that I want because I've already done so much damage that now it's like fall in line and do what he would like me to do. Um, I'm struggling with that now. I feel like I go through cycles where I do something terrible and then I can kind of get back in line and follow with what is asked of me. And then I get to places where I am right now where I just want a little freedom um, not to do anything wrong, but to have friends to be able to go out without being accused of, uh, you know, falling out of line again. I mean, I've only been with two men my whole life. And to suggest that I'm just some kind of whore that likes to go out and sleep with every man I meet is, it's hard to live like that and to feel like that's how I'm viewed. And I know it's not really how he views me, but that's how I feel. Rachel, do you think that the fact that you're in a relationship where you feel like you should be dominated by the man and told what to do, do you think that has to do with your upbringing in the cult and the way that you saw your parents' relationship? You know, I've never thought about it that way. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like a lot of times I'm my dad in the relationship, like that I have this, for the most part, pretty good guy and I keep screwing up. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like religion plays a big part of the guilt and the shame, which I just recently learned there's a difference between guilt and shame. And I think what I feel more is shame because it's like something I carry with me. Um, And I... I know that what I probably need is counseling <laughs> to try to get past that. But I, I again, come to another roadblock in that the two men that are in my life in any capacity don't want me to get counseling because I don't know the real reason, but I imagine it's because it's going to come to a solution that they don't like. And that might be a solution of me be by myself. I just want to say that I'm really sorry that you're having to go through that shame uh, and what you're feeling. And regardless of what people who are listening to this might think of you, they've never had to walk a mile in your shoes. They've never had to experience 
the abuse that you've experienced by both Francis and John, who seems very controlling. So I hope as people are listening to this, that they certainly will give you grace. And I just want to thank you very much for being vulnerable and sharing your experience, because I know that there's someone out there listening right now who's probably having to deal with something very similar and your story, even though heartbreaking and hard to tell will hopefully benefit someone in a way that you'll never know how much it helps them. And I feel like that's probably the case. I'd also like to add that sharing this story is most certainly not an easy thing to do. But I do believe that by opening up, by being vulnerable, by sharing this, not only are you going to be an inspiration and be able to help other people who may be going through similar experiences, but I also think it allows you to be able to look back um, with a greater perspective. And I'm just, I'm really thankful that you've joined us today for this conversation. And um, I just want to thank you for being so real because I know this isn't easy. Thank you guys. I appreciate you having me. (laughs) So even though you've experienced all this stuff, like is there any silver lining that you can point out about your story? Uh, That would probably be my kids. Um, They are amazing. Um, they're each very different and they are my sunshine in my life. So I can be having the worst day <laughs> um, and they make it all better. So uh, for all that I've been through and the folks I've been with, like the two best things out of that have been my kids. It's obvious that you really love your kids. I mean, you're willing to go through some, you're willing to go through hell just to make sure that your kids aren't affected. And I think that's very obvious. Well, and they're going to be affected no matter what I do. I'm just trying to not screw it up too bad. (laughs) I think that's what we're all trying to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And for those listening who may find themselves in a situation in which they are experiencing some form of abuse or neglect, whether that be due to their own actions or the actions of others, I want to encourage you that there is help available. Um, Suicide Lifeline, while suicide is in the title, is a national helpline that's available for you around the clock 24-7. Their phone number is 1-800-273-8255. And if you ever need someone to talk to, Um, If you're in a tough situation, that line is confidential. You can call them. You can process what's going through, what you're going through, and maybe even obtain some resources. I also would encourage the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Um, I don't have that number right off the top of my head, um, but an easy Google search will bring bring you to that, um, where you can reach out to a licensed clinician for help. And again, Rachel... I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. If you have something going on in your life similar to Rachel, 
um, or if you just related to her story in any way, uh, you're more than welcome to go to fadetograypodcast.com, join our Patreon and get on Marco Polo and join our conversations about that. Make sure to go to iTunes, hit the subscribe button, and uh, write us a review. And thanks for listening to the Fade to Gray podcast.